Where are you beautiful women from? Australia. Byron Bay, yeah. Australia. Yeah. yeah. So 44 is my number. One of my 44 stories is I bought a property in Australia and it didn't have a street number yet because it was just a like a vacant bush box. Right. And it was lot 108. And I like, I felt the property. I felt it really strongly. And we started building, applied to council. And I was like, I wonder if we get to pick our number. And you don't in Australia. So we applied to council and I got a letter in the mail saying you are street number 44. Oh, man. All right. life is 44s. Is it all the time? All the time. 44s, How do you see it? How do you? Everywhere. Number plates on etched into a footpath. Okay. Well, that's why I am citizen 44. Every day. I, I think am... we'll see a 44 before we get to the hotel. Well, we already shared the 44. Yeah, we're here. You gave me a 44 sticker. That's so what here's I'm another about. part of my story. So there you go. It's just a continuation of the experience. Really. 44s. Oh, we made it. You are Yay. here. Oh my God, you guys are going to be in the lap o luxury. Lap o luxury. That's yeah. what it's all oh, about. Man. I was like, we're going to manifest us this the coolest taxi driver. Well, I don't know if you did. got that, but you certainly got a nice cab. We did. And you got your 44. Okay. And I'm only charging you 10 bucks. Oh. But you guys got to give me hugs when we get out of here. We're car. giving you hugs. Best yeah. ever. Ever. Guys are fucking dirty. <laughs> You're getting yeah. in dirty. Oh, nice. Thanks, baby. Oh my goodness. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks very much. Bless, thank you too, you. baby. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Point four. I love it. That's so crazy, ridiculous. <laughs> no, it's so crazy. That's how it's supposed to be. Well, that's what's so beautiful about it. It's exactly what it is, all the time. Got it all. Oh my God. You guys got a ton of shit, man. We got a ton. Okay, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Bless. Bless. Oh my God. Those girls were so cute. Holy crap. Like, not just cute. Super sexy, smart, snappy, assertive, and uh, very friendly. Okay. Away we go. The trail is pretty much all on fire. From Etna to the where it's not closed is 19 miles. Then there's maybe like a 40 mile section where it's open. Yeah. But you can't get there because this is in the middle of nowhere. And then from the middle of nowhere to Ashland is closed. So there's like a hundred miles of trail I illegally cannot walk. They're like this. So where is everybody then? Um, How are they getting through? Well, you just gotta basically skip, 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 skip to wherever um, the trail's open again. So now I, I skipped up here because the trail's open in Ashland all the way to Three Sisters. Right. And then there's a fire closure there. So I gotta get off there and then, you know, you skip ahead. And, it's, it's difficult. We're like Uber, like, we like, we're, the, you know, there's like millennial, well, what do you call it? Millennials. And then there's like us, and we try to be super over the top respectful, and that's us. Like, uh, who's us? 
us. I would, I would call us like. Are you like, including me with you? I don't know. Like, I'm much the, older than you. I don't know. I'm, I'm rocking the 32s. Yeah, you're a fucking kid, man. Yeah, yeah. So 32, 33, we try to like do a lot of please and thank yous and like try to like be uber over the top like we're not those douchebags so 32 33 we try to like be really nice well that's pretty funny that you number one keep saying the word uber in a cab which is <laughs> hilarious <laughs> and then the fact that you brought up the number 33 when the number of this cab is 333 yeah, I'm we, just I'm just paying attention to you, dude, and yeah. all the words coming out of your mouth. Yeah, you know, my mom, she would be right there with you. She all right. Is, uh, your mom's probably a, my age. She's a numbers person. She's a numbers. She, uh, God forbid, she hears, she hears the numbers she wants to hear. And, uh, What's the number that she wants to oh, hear? 13. She loves 13. Okay. My mom says Friday the 13th is my lucky day. Yeah, yeah, so my mom, is, she thinks that Friday the 13th is lucky for some, yeah. unlucky for others. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's all bullshit. Right? It is. You but know, you put in it when you want to That's put it right, in. and if you put energy in, you will reflect some kind of activity back at yourself. It's totally true. Yeah. You, you, you know, you... you What's the word? You you manifest it. This episode is brought to you by Crater Lake Taxi. Competent drivers, clean vehicles, on time, anytime. Crater Lake Taxi, 541-333-3333. I am Citizen 44. Please listen carefully. <laughs> Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. It's looking a little bit like Beijing, China out here in old Ashland, especially for the past two weeks. Lots of smoke. Tons of smoke. Fires everywhere, man. Oregon's on fire. Texas is underwater. Mother Nature is uh, schooling us right now, and uh, I hope we take the hint at some point. To get on board the whole nature train and and start uh, correcting some behavior patterns and and such, because uh, I would imagine this uh, invitation for change uh, will come at a cost if we don't soon gather our intellectual resources and uh, come to some kind of common agreement that uh, we are teeny fucking tiny and uh, we can be taken out pretty quickly. And we will potentially soon find out that we can be taken out. We are totally vulnerable. We think we are so invincible. But uh, we're going to get shown in a big way at some point that, uh, yeah. So there you go. That's where I'm living right now, Beijing, Oregon. And it's a little toxic. I mean, it's not just smoke. We've had smoke in the past. We've had smoke so thick you can barely see your hand in front of your face and you can stare at the sun that is of pink and orange as long as you wish. Well, it's not feeling too good this time. It feels like there's some more chemical additives that uh, has attached itself to the smoke. And uh, I've been getting some, uh, some good headaches 
and uh, things of that nature and feeling a little out of sorts. I've, I've, I've tried to not let it get in the way of me enjoying my new electric bicycle. However, today I'm not riding. I've decided uh, I have to attach some intelligence to how I'm interacting with the poison gas outside my door. And, uh, and there you have it. I did go out and grab some coffee today. But uh, I'm going to stay indoors, and this is where I, once again, appreciate my job. I can make money driving around. I don't have to get out of the car. Uh, I can keep the, uh, the interior climate and uh, do what I want with it, which is nice. Uh, I'm comfortable. And, and also, it's very slow right now. Even tonight or yesterday was super slow, so I just uh, dispatched for yay, so Joe could have the entire night off. It was a nice, clean, easy night. I rolled out a couple of times uh, just to fill in towards the end of the shift and, uh, and, and worked on the show, worked on uh, uh, my conversation with Johan Ziems. Wow, what a guy, man. Seriously, great story. Johan's been very generous to include me in his goings-on uh, and... Uh, in many ways, and I've always appreciated him for that. I hope he knows that, and that uh, it was a—it's an honor to be in the presence of someone who's done so much, and who's come here with so little, other than a gigantic heart, and the gigantic body to house such a gigantic heart uh, required. Like my son Sam, you know, big people, hopefully doing big things with their big hearts and their big minds, and. Uh, and, and there you go. So Johans, uh, he came over and we chatted about this and about that. And uh, it reminded me how much he has done for this community and how much I appreciate our relationship and how we think similarly and feel similarly about, about things. So uh, here's my chat with uh, Johan. Today, I was walking down the street to go get some coffee at Bloomsbury, and I was walking with this uh, older gentleman, Mark. I told him about you coming to this country when you were like 18, right? 17. 17. I just turned 17. Through New York. Yeah. And then ended yeah. up in, in, in Southern Grants Oregon. Pass. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, this is uh, Johan Ziems. We don't get to see each other very much anymore Not because enough. you were out in the Applegate a lot, most yeah. of the time. Yeah. And you're in the farming business mm -hmm. of, uh, is it medical or recreational? Medical, or it's it's more like garlic and kale and potatoes and cherries and plums. That's what you can actually eat and survive on. You right. know? But you so, are growing cannabis, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just came easy to me to grow. And it's like, well, might as well do some good and help some cancer patients, help some people in general. been growing vegetables my whole life, organic yeah. farming. and so Even then, in Germany? Yeah, even then. Yeah, I grew up on an organic farm. What part of Germany were you born in? I was born in East Germany, just a couple of hours south of Berlin, in Weimar. Known for Goethe, Schiller, Liszt, Bauhaus, you know, all kinds of references to right. that town. Weimar is a very famous town, very intellectual. A little huh. bit like Ashland, very cool town. And what year were you born? 74. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I had an upbringing there. I grew up in an apartment complex with my parents, but in the summer times and most of the weekends I would spend at my grandparents' house at an organic farm, mm. where my whole family of about 100 people were all involved one way or another into what we now call permaculture. Right. My cousin was a mechanic, so he would fix all the cars. My aunts and my grandma would do all the sewing, you know, because growing up in East Germany, it was kind of like we didn't have a free market of buying anything. Huh. So we would trade within the family. 
everybody growing up into my family realized their profession by trial and error. No wonder you're so attracted to Burning Man. Maybe, yeah. yeah. That whole bartering, the whole community, exactly. communal family. No money, yeah. So it's like oh. you grow up and you start helping the mechanic, and if you're good at it, you'll become the mechanic in the family. And if you're good at sewing, you start making, you know, dresses and shirts for the everybody. Right. And the same with butchering, making cheese. You know, my job was to milk the goats in the morning. You know, so we grew up in this, what this now, which kind of cracks me up because people go get certified for permaculture when it already existed, when it was just a way of life. We didn't even have a name for it. What did your dad do for a living? He was working for the city. He was, um, you know, he started as an architect and then he just worked for the city, hmm. you know, kind of like a janitor for big apartment complexes and for housing. So he was an architect, but a mm -hmm. trained architect and he exactly. was working as a janitor mm -hmm. and could not actually leverage his... No, not at all. Not even close. And is know. that because of... Germany at the time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We lived in a ghetto, you know, we were oppressed by the Russian military and we were 16 million people, you know, barbed wire fenced in. At the time living there, I never really realized it, you know, people asked me, well, how was your upbringing? And I was like, it was fine. Because you never saw past the fence. Well, you, you, never, and you knew. never knew anything differently. No, no. So it's yeah. normal. It's normal, exactly. Which is, of course, not normal. No, but then later you realize it, and that's when it starts to hurt, you know, when you're going, wow. What was that period of time? Well, I was about 10 when I started realizing that I will not go to Paris for breakfast. I will not go to West Germany to buy a record. You know, I am deprived of certain things in my life because I got a sense of it of what freedom could feel like and you get oppressed in school through military through sometimes your parents you know so was your whole thing kind of like just a big concentration camp i would say if you were to compare us to like the jewish ghetto yeah. it was a ghetto where people were forced in we were forced to labor for minimum wage we were not allowed to leave the military got bigger and bigger and bigger the spying on people got bigger and bigger and bigger to where it finally collapsed i mean we could not leave more than two hours in either direction Right. You know, and we were clearly told that we were going to live that life behind that iron curtain. Who was running the show at the time? Erich Honecker, you know, just a derelict of a dictator, yeah. you know, and drunk and alcoholic and uh, vice versa. Just a very corrupt government. Yeah. Which was so-called communism, which I truly believe communism never really existed. Not in the well, place no, I Well, no, it wasn't. Up. And, no, and it was actually, dictatorship. Well, the, even the word communism is a positive, exactly. reasonable, what your family was doing Dude, to survive. Exactly. That's, communism. That's communism. You Socialism. were living in a fucking commune. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, Marx and Engels wrote it down, but yeah. that never really existed because government always gets corrupt. And they made it a bad yeah. thing. They yeah. labeled it and used propaganda exactly. and yeah. all kinds of things to slander yeah. what in concept was actually a reasonable way of living. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then we lost it all, you know, when West Germany basically occupied then East Germany, you know. We had a very brief moment where we had brought ourselves through the revolution. We had freed ourselves from all that oppression. You know, we had some of the best recycling system because we only had one bottle for beer. We only had one oh, bottle for milk. This is there where, was no marketing. This is where the growler came from, that whole idea? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Because we only had resources for what There was no marketing. If you had a t-shirt, everybody else had that t-shirt. Mm. There was no advertising. You know, there was no How beautiful. marketing. Yeah, it was just like... So what surprises me, and I'm stepping ahead, the first thing I noticed in the U.S. when I went to high school here in Grants Pass... I realized that people differentiate themselves by who's got a swimming pool at home or who has a skateboard or who has the better fancier bicycle. Mm -hmm. where, where I grew up, we all had the same exact thing. 
But that's but how it's that's how it should be. And exactly, you made a difference in your intellect, right? You know, or where you. Well, there was no competition for things, no competition, man. Thank you. You all had your things. Equal. Then you could have a conversation now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And wow. you weren't focused on this like peacock behavior. Right. Wow, that's fascinating that that model was actually created through adversity. Yeah. So for a short time, you know, right after the revolution in November, we um, we were at a, at a place where we could have been our sustained, self-sustained East German country. Yeah. And the first election came. And the first election was the party that took us, this Neue Forum and different parties that took us through the revolution that actually risked people that risked their lives. Yeah. In j- life, jail men and everything. But then West Germany came in and said, we're not going to miss out on that chance to occupy our old territory. Right. Even though we're no ran by the Americans. Right. You know, and so they offered money, basically. And so in the first election, you know, I cried horribly because I just couldn't believe that we as humans, a party, our parents, our helpers, our freedom fighters would get pushed under the rug over a little bit of money and fear infiltration from West Germany. And so what year is like, this? Well, that was in 90, 90, 1990, you know. And you were how right? old then? I was then, I was um, six, 16 years old. Yeah. 16, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And that was a wake-up call for me. That's when I realized it's all fucking bullshit, you know. It's, people will not go for the freedom. They will live in fear and they will be oppressed. They will continue to be oppressed. And it's so hard to break out of your shell, you know. And other countries will do whatever it takes to occupy more territory to oppress the people, to get to the resources. So that's when I decided to leave. That's why I was like, I don't want to be a part of West German. I didn't go through the revolution to just know, be like a West German country and just, you know, go to subways and supermarkets and, you know, get my gas from Exxon, you know. How did your parents and the rest of the group deal with this new revelation? There was a lot of confusion. Well, there was a lot of people wanting to choose money, you know, and be like, well, this is going to be much easier. We don't have to sew all night long. Or butcher our own, you know, cattle. We can just go to the butcher now. You know what this is? This is the book Animal Farm, dude. Yeah, yeah. And some of my cousins left for the same reason as I left, because not wanting to be a part of it, you know. And um, yeah, it's it's a good life lesson. Sure. I benefit from it to this day. Well, now I see actually why you operate the way you do. Mm -hmm. You just spelled it out very clearly what you came from Mm -hmm. and and why you're motivated to do a lot of the work that you do, mm-hmm, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it feels important to me, you know, the legacy that we leave this planet. Who are we known for? You know, are we polluting? Are we abusing? Are we taking? Or are we giving and sharing and, you know, making this a better place? Yeah. You know, just for a short time. Well, that's time. the whole thing, man. Yeah. What's your shirt say? It says, Männer weinen heimlich. What is that? It's a German songwriter, and he says, Men cry in silence. Men cry in silence? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Not all of us. Some of no, us cry of out fucking loud and yeah. blubber like yeah. babies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Good. me. That's what I'm talking about here. The blubbering Jewish yeah. baby over here. <laughs> so, how did it work out with your family when you decided that you needed to leave? Well, I mean, my parents didn't want to let me go. That, yeah, of course. Of course not. At the same time, right during this transition period, you know, where East Germany was collapsing, the Russians were forced to leave, the occupation ended, a lot of Nazism started happening. Last kids were like drawn towards old uniforms and old beliefs. Mm. Everybody was lost, you know, it was like zombies walking around not knowing what are we going to do till West Germany, you know, scooped us up. And uh, so there was a lot of that going on and I was fighting that heavily 
as a child and as you know as a teenager and just couldn't wrap my head around anybody falling into these hateful beliefs yeah and so i got into a lot of fights and a lot of like gang violence between 14 and 15 and gotten hospitalized so many times that after a while even my parents were like you know we're afraid to lose you why can't we find an alternative and we all made the decision that i should probably go to australia go to England, go to somewhere else just mm. to get out, to get away from all this negativity and all this hate and all this fighting. Huh. Because I would almost make it my daily routine of fighting the Nazis and fighting the skinheads. Later on in life, I realized as much as I was fighting them, as much as I was throwing Molotov cocktails, as much as I was organizing left-wing punks, I was also creating the skinhead movement. I was empowering them. I was giving them a reason. Well, you're fueling their fire. I was fueling their fire, man. Yeah. yeah. With Molotov cocktails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally. And vice versa, they were throwing stones and, you know, shooting the buildings and stuff. But you were compelled because you knew it was wrong. Exactly. And, and, and you couldn't wrap your head and around naive. another way to deal no, with it. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and naive enough to think that I was making a difference. And you were on some level. You just yeah. didn't have the emotional maturity to find other avenues. Yeah, the Gandhi approach. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, no. Yeah. It was more like the final mentality, my way or the highway. Right. And still almost creating it, you know. Right. So well, that all collapsed and, you know, like I said, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion. And so I was just set to get out. And then plus I was drafted in the military. Hmm. Like then it was just like my uniform got sent and I was like, wow. Okay. So here I come from this incredible upbringing, love, yet in a ghetto to total confusion, lost my country, lost my freedom fighters, lost the, you know, free way of thinking and living for a short time into this no, going to the West German military, and it just didn't make any sense. So uh, for me, it was no other choice than to just leave the country. Right. Yeah. So. And how did you get out? You know, I got help, and uh, it was amazing. It was like all the little pieces came together. You know, we had no money. We couldn't even afford a plane ticket. But my parents sold some antiques, and, you know, I remember getting to New York City with like a couple hundred bucks and a pair of jeans, and uh, no English at all. But feeling like a million dollars, all that. Right. Feeling like the best thing ever happened to me. Because you had real freedom for the first time. And exactly. And you're... even landing in New York was one of the scariest things in a way, but it felt so good. That you was were a, 17? I was, yeah, I had just turned 17. I, I only knew a picture of the Statue of Liberty and a, and a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. I didn't know any of the states. I didn't know where New York was. I didn't even know anything about it. No language, nothing. And so I remember like leaving the airplane and... They had just pardoned a white guy for murdering a black person. And so there was like thousands of demonstrators. What year is this? Like African. It was August 14th, 1991. Okay. So the New York airport was filled with so many beautiful black African-American people holding nooses and just demonstrating against the white people. And here I was seeing that beautiful color for the first time in my life, but being directly addressed at me. Right. You know, and walking through these aisles of these people. It was powerful, you know. It made me feel very humble. And then I remember the very first thing. I remember the bus I was like, I figured out how to go downtown. And I remember the bus driver was a black guy, and he comes out, and he's trying to help me, and he's trying to take my backpack. And I'm so attached to it, I can't let go that I'm ripping it back from him. And he's just like throws up his arms, and the bus takes off. So the next, next bus comes, and I'm trying to get on the bus, and again, the bus driver's trying to grab my backpack, and I'm like, no, you don't understand, I'm not giving up my backpack. 
you know, it took me several bus rides to realize that they were just storing the backpacks. Right. <laughs> they, but they didn't realize that you were just trying to hold on to your thing? The only thing I had in this moment. Right. You know, in a total confusion. And you didn't want to let go of the and last bastion of your No, and connection. no language at all. Wow. And then the most beautiful thing happened. It was like, it was the day that Paul Simon was doing a free concert in Central Park. And I met some people at that concert. And I knew some of the songs through some of the records that my dad, even in East German times, had to smuggle into the country. Mm. Because even his upbringing for 40 years, he wasn't able to, you know, listen to the Beatles or listen to any West German music or wear jeans or, you know, do any kind of... How was he affected by the Nazi movement? Well, luckily, not not as heavily as my grandfather, you know. He was four years old when that all collapsed. So his dad was gone. His dad was imprisoned. And he grew up without a dad and... He was young enough to not be affected by it, you know, because right. he was just four years old. He right. just got out of, barely escaped at all. Right. Where with both my grandfathers, it was a totally different story. And yeah. they, they were imprisoned? They were imprisoned, them? fighting the Nazis. And um, also, my grandfather from my dad's side, he was in jail long enough to where he also realized he couldn't do anything about it other than became an accountant for the Nazi party. And he was stationed in Holland and he started stealing Nazi money and funneling it into the Dutch economy. So he was, after the war ended, stayed with Dutch families that, you know, vowed for him saying, right. no, this guy has actually been lying on the books for years, oh. funneling mad amount of, you know, rice dollars and Nazi money into the Dutch economy, oh. economy stealing from them. And so he got amnesties through that. Sure. Stayed he with bought them. it, literally. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah. But then he got caught by the Russians once back at home and the Russians didn't believe any other story than he was German, you know. Right. And so he was in Siberian concentration camp for several years. Did he die there? No, he didn't. He came home, but he was a totally changed man for sure. Yeah. You know. What about your other grandfather? The other grandfather was just a farmer, you know. He yeah. was just like farming his whole life, taking care of, you know, his five daughters, which was one of my mom, and just living a peaceful life till the Nazis showed up and, you know, he fought them too and he didn't want to be a part of that, you know. And so he ended up in jail during that time. Yeah. And did he end up getting released as well? Yeah. All right, Strange so here time. you are in America. Yeah. Here's America. America. Wow, to walk in, into an airport full of this color that you've yeah. never even witnessed before. No, it's no. like going to another planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the wow. language and the flickering lights and the commercialism and, you know, my first plane ride and all this stuff. Wow. You know, at 17, yeah. So where'd you end up yeah. going from the airport? How did you... Well, so basically it was like, you know, I got with an exchange student program and with a church group and they were like, well, you should probably educate yourself a little bit on the U.S. because we have options, you know, especially through like a church group. And so I went to a bookstore and I started reading some books or looking at pictures more likely. Yeah. And I remember there was one book that was called um, The Two Green States of the U.S., Washington and Oregon. And I looked at the photos and I saw the redwoods and I saw the coastline and I just that was my dream. Like, that's where I wanted to be. Mm. Like, if I could choose anywhere I wanted to go, I wanted to be in those woods on the coast. So in my next meeting, I went back and they said, well, have you made up your mind? And I said, well, I thought Washington was Washington, D.C. right there. So I said, I don't want to go to the neighboring town. I want to go to Oregano. So I always called it Oregano in the first (laughs) few years. So good times. I got very lucky. I had an amazing, sweet host family that agreed to host me for 10 months. Where was in this? In Grants Pass. Okay. Mm-hmm. Outside of Merlin. Yeah. 
Which is only like an hour from here, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. North, yeah. yeah. So I went there as a senior, but only took freshman and sophomore English every day. Right. And some PE and some fun stuff. Right. And uh, had an amazing host mom that helped me learn English. How was in your year. integration being with other children and not having the language skills, not knowing any of the culture? I mean, it was, were you, it was great. Were you accepted in? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like I said, I got very lucky. I've heard horror stories of people coming here with knowledge. I mean, all refugees don't yeah. get accepted like that. Yeah. You know, I came right at an amazing time, like the early 90s, where the U.S. was very open to, I mean, I wasn't a refuge, but I was a Cold War, you know, not survivor, but I was well, you're a product part of the, of the Cold, Cold War. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, so I was like greeted in with open arms. Mm. It's like, oh, you don't want to be with the Russians? Well, come stay with us. So, you know, my host family ended up hosting me for two years. After high school, I traveled a little bit and then went to RCC, Royal Community College. And, um, yeah. Which is right here? Yeah, exactly. Just been in this valley since 91. And what did you do at you know, RCC? I did art and design. Took a lot of ceramics classes, painting, life drawing, you know. Took right. some mountaineering, climbed Mount Shasta, and just had a great time. You know, met amazing teachers, met amazing friends that I still love and have contact with today. How quickly and, uh, did you gain language skills? You know, the understanding came about three three months. Like three weeks, I might have not sounded like a total idiot anymore. Three months, I felt like I was understanding the language, but it took at least two years to comfortably talk. Right. You know, the talking comes so much later yeah. than the understanding. Sure. Yeah. So I was really lucky and fortunate enough to be in a great school with... No bullying, with no harassment, with great friends and people. And what high school was it? North Valley High School. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a predominantly white area. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And who was your host family? It was um, Dr. Maddie. He was an eye doctor in Grants Pass. And um, very sweet Christian family, you know, where um, they just spend a lot of time and love, you know, helping me through some of these homesickness, for instance. Right. You know, being away, different foods different languages, slight frustration. I mean, even I'd been drinking since I was 12 and they had complete no alcohol rules. Oh. You know, things yeah. like that, you uh -huh. know, like that it was just, it was really important for me to just focus on language. Right. You know? How did you stay in contact with your family? Through letters and the occasional phone call. Yeah, but people even have then, no my, idea about oh, my email parents, now. My everything. parents had no phone. Yeah. Still. Oh, right. You know, still, you say? Yeah, still. At that, in 91, my parents didn't have any phone uh -huh. lines. You know, we were still just coming out of the dark ages. That must have been horrible for your mom, and especially your mom. Uh, but if you don't know any different, again, you know, my mom no, was no, never No, 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 meaning to... horrible, meaning not talking to you. Oh, yeah. Not oh, yeah. knowing what's going no, on with her exactly. Son. Oh, yeah. You have brothers and sisters? I have one older sister, and she did a very similar thing where she left right after the fall of the wall, and she married into Holland, and she moved to Holland, you know, and she lives outside of Amsterdam. Oh. which is only about eight hours away from my parents, but still right. a different country in a different language. Yeah. So yeah. none of, you know, my daughter, she's 20 now, she speaks English, and my sister's kids speak Dutch and some German, mm. but more English. Right. So even for my parents, it's like their grandkids don't even speak the native language anymore. Right. They're so removed <laughs> from the whole yeah. culture, actually. Yeah. yeah. Huh. We were the first ones to ever even get out of our family, you know. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so you're in Grants Pass. Yeah. And you're immersed in American yeah. culture, yeah. and you're doing fine. You're yeah. you're learning, and you're well. You're smart, obviously. You're a very smart guy, so uh, you adapted. 
pretty easily. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took time, clearly, for you to develop the, the, the mm -hmm. communication skills, but mm -hmm. you clearly had good relationships, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. you were making friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, at first it was very shallow. Like, I remember the first three, four months, I was pretty determined to either go back or go somewhere else, because I wasn't driving, I didn't have a car. You know, it was like as shallow as Americans being like, hey, I'll pick you up after school, let's do something. And then they would never show up. Mm. You know, I, for me, it was like, if you tell somebody you're going to do it, you're going to do it. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, maybe, maybe not. No, it was like, yes or no kind of thing. Yeah. That's how I grew up. You know, it was like life or death sometimes. So that was something to get used to a little bit. And it took a while. And then, you know, one of my dearest friends to this day, Brian, he was the first one to um, say, hey, you know, I'm going to pick you up after school and we're going to go play Frisbee in the park. And I was, at that point, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he did show up. And he continued to show up, and we mm -hmm. became best friends. And we're still really good friends to this day. And our parents are good friends. And you met him through the high through school? Through the high school, yeah. Okay. He was just another senior in my class. Yeah. Did you do sports or any activities I tried a little bit school? of soccer, but I was, you know, tall, skinny, and not very athletic. Yeah. So you were the art dude. I was the art dude, and I did art class, you know. At that point, I was already, like, doing mohawks and shaving my head and wearing really strange black and white striped pants. And, How'd you that know. work out with the girls? Oh, I was such a soft-spoken boy that girls weren't even looking at me. I mean, I never... Even eat. with your... No, I never even went to prom. I never even got a single date in high school. I was such a late bloomer. Like, I never really well, you're started You're certainly dating. making up for lost time. I, I would say so, yeah. <laughs> I didn't start dating until my 20s. I was, huh. like, I was not, not one of those guys that girls even looked at. I was, they were, I was like the, the friend, you know. Right. The yeah. not gay, the, the, the not, not gay, not gay, so gay, gay looking friend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. So you were able to yeah. actually create relationships with females on a totally different totally, level. Totally different level. And like you said, I've been a late bloomer. And no, I mean, I went to a class reunion and it's like the absolute studs, the guys that went to every dance, had girls since they were freshmen, are now kind of fat and bald and not and look so at happy. You. You're a big strapping fucking young man yeah, still. I'm having yeah. a good time. Yeah. 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 And so you're able to write back and forth to your family mm -hmm. and yeah. and reassure them essentially that yeah. it's all going yeah. and that you're not oppressed anymore. No, and not in the hospital. And, and not, not getting Nazis. in fights. No, not, not getting in fights. Right. Yeah. And um, I was given another chance in life. You know, it's like when you grew up and all you see is gray. Like we were so oppressed with food. Like, I mean, I, I had to be 17 to eat my first pineapple. My first kiwi, you know, to have an abundance of oranges and bananas. Yeah. Like just food alone or color TV or color photographs or even playing a Nintendo. Like all these things were so foreign to me. Right. That when you get here at that age, it's like I was just eating it up. <laughs> right. Literally. Right. I was just so stoked. And you have this dude, Brian, you have a buddy now. A buddy now, yeah, with a Chevy Love that we would ride around in and do stuff in and... You know, the only Western movie I ever got to see when I was in East Germany was Grizzly Adams, <laughs> a mountain man living with a bear and an eagle in the middle. It was a TV show. A TV show, yeah. but filmed on the Rogue River. Right. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. Oh, wow. Yeah, then yeah. Haggerty. So that set a pace for me. That was the dream as a 12-year-old, as a 10-year-old. That's like, if I get to dream anything, it wasn't Russian military. It wasn't some East German coal mine. No, it was like... Grizzly Adams living in the woods, surrounded by animals. And, and that's you cabin. now. Yeah. Grizzly. Isn't that amazing how much... Have TV you seen a bear out there? Yeah. Have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Almost got charged by one the other day. Really? Seriously. 
A blackberry? A blackberry. A huge blackberry really? came right for me. Yeah. Didn't he look at how big you were? No, he was pissed. Why the was logging, he pissed? The logging. There's been so many clear cuts. Oh, in on the, Apple the, private, in the Applegate area, oh. more than I mean, I, I've We're seen chasing these poor fuckers out of their no homes. No water. The creeks are covered by dead trees. They can't drink anymore. I clearly have seen him for many, many years. I own forty acres out there, and I know have three new clear cuts bordering my land. So he has nowhere to go. I'm like this island in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by these clear cuts from these stupid companies, you know, raping our land leaving nothing but destruction, forests that will never grow back, and completely misplacing these animals. You know, and so of course he was mad. He saw me as a logger, he saw me as a destruction. That's right. Well you're part of the problem. You're a fucking man. Yeah, exactly. Period. I'm on his land. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so he charged you. He charged me, yeah. He came and Where right were you? Me. Were I you was, close enough to the house? No, I was not, but I had a very strange premonition. The night before and that morning that I might see the bear. I knew it ahead of times. And sometimes I carry my gun and sometimes I just drive my truck and I stay close to my vehicle because he's always within like, you know, 10, 15 feet. Wow. But it gives me enough time to stand close to my truck to jump in. Yeah. So that gave me a protection. That day I had left my gate key and the moment I get to the gate, I realize I'm going to have to hike in a mile. And so as I was hiking in, I had a really bad feeling and I started thinking, wow, this could happen today. And so I went back and grabbed a shovel, just a regular shovel. And a couple of, couple of hundred yards later, I see him coming out of the bushes right for me. And so I started swinging that shovel as hard as I could, beating on the ground, beating on rocks, screaming and yelling. Yeah, being crazy. And he did not slow down. He was still coming for me. So he stopped about, about, about 16 feet 20 feet in front of me, finally, but I could see him straight in the eyes, and he was still slowly coming forward, and I hit harder and made more noise and just acted like a crazy person. Yeah. Because I realized if I didn't have that shovel, and I would have just laid dead and laid on the ground. You wouldn't be sitting here no, chatting I would not with be me sitting right here, Mark. now. I would yeah. not be sitting here. No, no. How big is he? How, what do you he think he He was huge. He must have been at least 400 plus pounds, because when he walked away, his butt was gigantic huh. I mean it was like a good two and a half three feet wide wow he was one of the biggest black bears I've ever seen huh. you know and so so did he just turn around and he walk slowly away? turned around and just very slowly walked away but the look he had in his eyes was that look of like you guys have got to be kidding me what are you doing why are you taking out all these trees why are you blocking all the waterways and I'm sure that's exactly what he was saying exactly you know he was he was he was angry frustrated and sad and I, I could do nothing but forgive him and try to forgive myself. Well, yeah. What's to forgive him for? He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. He's just being a bear. Yeah. That's exactly. what he is, a yeah, bear. Yeah. I just need some trees and some water, some yeah, fish, yeah. and I'm Maybe not going to bother you. No. I won't attack you. No. I don't have a reason to. Yeah, I've seen him at least 10 times before, and he most likely always ignored me. You know, he could be walking away eight feet in front of me. I've watched him eat honey get into a beehive once, you know, I've, I've known his presence. Once I watched him eat berries in the bush standing on his hind legs and he was towering several feet over me. You know, he's a big bear. Huh. And sure oh, enough, this time so he sad. just sat, you know, and for me to even drive to my land through these clear cuts now, it's just, I just can't believe it. What are they doing? I tell you what they're doing. So, you know, you get all these mixed stories. So one morning I was on the way to the coast and I know that's where the locks are going. I was like, I'm going to follow the lock truck. 
they are shipping them to China. They're going oh. into Coos Bay. You know, right now, most of our Oregon forests are getting locked, you know, by timber industries. And for pennies on the tree getting shipped or getting trucked to Coos Bay and then put on these ships that are like the size of, you know, cruise boats, cruise yeah. ships, yeah. and just getting milled overseas with, with um, toxins being dumped in the ocean. So they mill them. They to, mill them on the boats on, on the, the way. Boats, on the way into plywood and into you know shrapnel, and then um, sell them for pennies to the Chinese. Even the Chinese are saying right now, if you guys are stupid enough to sell us your heritage, we will buy it. Well, fuck yeah! Why should they? You know, you this know, is like if we're dumb enough to put someone like an idiot in the White idiot House, the White then House. we deserve what we fucking yeah, get. Yeah, we created yeah. this shit. Exactly. Golly. And you know, not to get too political, but. We're not protecting this place for seven generations to come. That was the illusion I had several years ago still, under our old president, that we were doing a good job. And frankly, I don't think we deserve to be on this planet. I think this is truly the Garden of Eden, you know, that people talk about. Yeah, endangering all the species, polluting our water. For what? A few people's profit, you know. Plastic is everywhere in every river every sewage every it's incredible how much the oceans yeah what people do not understand is we could be making money yeah. for everybody which we don't need any money at all of course that yeah. whole concept is ridiculous yeah. and outdated but if we're going to stay within the paradigm of yeah. uh, commerce yeah. and a monetary system let's make it work yeah. because you can turn plastic into all kinds of things like my friend will says we use permanent products for temporary use. Yeah. That is part of the huge insanity is yeah. going to get a cup of coffee for 10 minutes mm -hmm. and then throwing it away. Yeah. And what is away? See, that there, is no right. away. there is no away. This is right I here. I teach this to children. When yeah. I hear somebody say, oh, throw it away. I ask them, it's like, what do you mean by away? Where's that going? Where's that going? There is no away on this planet. No. You need to call it for what it is. I'm putting it in a landfill. Yeah. I am polluting this planet. Well, we've convinced ourselves of certain things to yeah. make it easier to swallow our own behavior. Out of mind, out of sight. You know, we you know we yeah. kill chickens and then we we put them in packaging and make it look presentable. Exactly. We do everything to make it palatable yeah. so human beings can deal with our own stupidity and take the guilt out. See, packaging yes. animals. I thought years ago. I thought it'd be so amazing if you had to put a picture of the animal that you're eating on the packaging. Because I'm a meat eater, you know, I, I have guilt around it, but I won't eat any processed meat. Right. I'll eat a little bit of roadkill, I'll eat some fresh salmon, I'll eat something that I know where it comes from, I'll eat some of the organic beef from the apple gate of some yeah. of these amazing farmers. But I have made eye contact with this cow. I see the cow in the pasture running around, and yeah. I'm aware of that's the cow I'm eating. Yeah. I see the chicken or the duck that's running around laying eggs, swimming in the ponds, and I'm aware that is the duck it's I'm eating. not so far That picture removed. would be an okay picture on the packaging. Right. But would I eat a chicken that has no feathers, that lives in a room with 10,000 other chickens getting force-fed? The cheapest chicken you can buy, the Safeway chicken? No. And what is it doing to you, too, also? Exactly. What's the psyche the comic, of that animal? The comic energy. Mm. So let's put pictures of the food that we're eating, of the animals on the packaging. That'd be three, three that tiers. are not cartoons. The cheapest... Yeah, they're not cartoons. The cheapest, the medium, and then the free-range, organic, beautiful cow. Right. How we used to feed ourselves. Right. We are hiding the truth. Yeah, always. And that's exactly. it. We cover the truth with all kinds of packaging. 
yeah. and uh, and it makes it okay for us to do mm-hmm. what we do and mm-hmm. go about our business because we have to work so hard. Mm-hmm. We're worried about you know putting food on the table yeah. at all. Yeah, and there's so many. Uh, oppressive pressures that are invisible it's mm-hmm. not oppression like you went through but this is the invisible oppression mm-hmm. yeah. this is the system that you're being indoctrinated into mm-hmm. well organic food for instance you know i always say well people say well i can't afford it i always want to say you cannot afford it it's like you can't afford not to buy organic food because you're going to be paying medical bills later on anyway the question is can we fix it at any time once we yeah. decide to fix it yeah yeah I mean, come on, like, I don't want to hear another person on the street being like, oh, how are you dealing with the climate change? Oh, it's so hot today in Ashland. I'm like, well, we've known this since the 80s and 90s that this yeah. is coming. We haven't changed it. We are a part of this. Yeah. These heat waves, we are directly a part of. Actually. Everything we're doing to the earth really is a reflection on how we feel about ourselves, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. shitty. Yeah, yeah. It's a self-hating, self-loathing, shitty time. Mm -hmm. We need proper instruction. Just nurture people into their natural tendencies of being creative Mm -hmm. and loving. And we're going to teach people how to recognize Mm -hmm. that we have everything and there's enough for everybody. We should be traveling 5 billion miles an hour at the blink of an eye, whatever we want to do. Yeah, and have free energy, you know, have sustainable energy. Yeah, how about that sun thing up there? What is that? Yeah. Is that just like, (laughs) is that a prop on a movie set? No, this is a thing that has infinite supply of life for us. This is our friend, man. This shit is going to bail us out. I know. And I'm not angry with us. I'm, and I'm not disappointed because we are wherever we yeah. are until yeah. we are someplace else. Mm-hmm. But I can see the truth, and I am like you or anyone. I'm just another knucklehead. Mm-hmm. But I do know that it can be way different mm-hmm. pretty easily yeah. if we just decide yeah. that we're all worth it to do it. Mm-hmm. And that this planet is worth it. To yes. do it for. When did you come to Ashland? <sighs> in my acting class in high school, we were forced to get on the bus. <laughs> to drive to Ashland to see a play. Yeah. What was the play? If oh, I don't remember. Okay. But what I will remember is the moment I got out in the plaza, I realized that this downtown is different than Grants Pass downtown, that the people are happier than the people in Grants Pass, that there is no big McDonald's, no fast food. There was no McDonald's here yet? No, uh-uh, no, no, no especially in the downtown area, you know, where Grants Pass is littered with fast food and, yeah. you know, supermarkets. I just feel more at home here than I did in Grants Pass. Yeah. And I remember I skipped out of the second half of the Shakespeare play and went to the Lithia Park. And it was a little bit at night. It was a warmish summer night and there were adults swinging. In the playground? In the playground. Yeah. And I had never in my life experienced adults swinging screaming happy laughing like kids like kids next to this rain this amazing creek and this playground in this beautiful town it was just such a foreign concept so it wasn't about coming to shakespeare for one play it was coming to ashland and seeing this spontaneous beauty and realizing this would be much more of a place i want to be at yeah. so after i finished high school in grants pass and a couple of years of college in the Rogue Valley, I immediately was drawn towards Ashland and decided to move here. And it took me in 95 is when I moved here finally. Okay. Yeah, so that's what, five, 22 years ago. Yeah, yeah. You I know, was just moving to San Francisco when you were moving here. Yeah, moved to this beautiful valley. I think the town was like 9,000 people. Wow. Found work right away. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Found work. and um, Found work doing what? Uh, working with domes 
And um, the first dome that I ever saw was built by Carl Zeiss in East Germany in Jena. So Carl Zeiss, the lens maker. Yeah, that's my he, he was Sony. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was actually the pioneer for the steel frame geodesic domes. Wow. Bucky kind of took that concept and changed it a little bit. And again, I don't know, I can't rewrite the history, but when I was like 11 years old, my dad took me to this dome in Jena in Carl Zeiss and showed me the remnants of this steel frame dome and some of the old photos of people hanging, students hanging out yeah. on these frames yeah and that fascinated me what so year was I, that that was when i was 10 years old that i was in 84 85 okay you know and it's like bucky came up with some good ideas carl size came up with good ideas you know fabrics are being made that are incredible lightweight and waterproof windproof you know it's just the sun's getting hotter and we need more shade you know we right need to protect ourselves you know right. and i've just always been a fan of like you know structures in general you know houses like my place in the Applegate, you know, I built saunas, tree houses, just just structures in general, you know, it's just it's just incredible, you know. I watch the animals and I think, wow, you know, we are the only species that builds these square boxes, you know. To me, my love for domes came from a place of watching the animals build burrows and nests. To me, like everything in nature that screams integrity is round. You know, it's like fruits, vegetables, watermelons, tomatoes, you know, you name it, an orange, like why is it all round? We know, know that our anatomical structure, you know, uh, is all really based on rounds, atoms. Hello, the Earth. The Earth, yeah, I was just <laughs> going to get there, that solar system, the sun, you know, eclipses, like there's no straight lines in nature. Right. It's like, who are we to make up these straight lines? You well, know, even Alan me? Watts says it's the wiggle. We're the yeah. wiggle, yeah. and we, we try and make everything hard yeah. oh, and straight, straight. And, and that's our pain, yeah. is trying to unbend things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. And leave them natural. Yeah. Natural. Right. Exactly. We're making things very unnatural for mm -hmm. ourselves, mm -hmm. which again is part of the suffering process, mm -hmm. is not living naturally. Yeah. So if you're unnatural, if this is not supposed to be the way you're supposed to be, yeah. you're going to have a lot of discomfort yeah. on every level of your existence. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of forcing ourselves into this place we don't belong yeah. living this way. Yeah. That's why I think it's like, do we belong here? When I look around in nature, when I'm standing in the woods and I look around and I watch the ants and I watch the bear and I watch the monkeys killing each other, I still feel like, what is our place in this beautiful Garden of Eden? Are we just brought here? This might sound crazy, but my intuition tells me that we were brought here to mine the gold. Oh. I look around and I go, there is not an animal that decides to dress up in plastic. There's the animals, no matter what they do, they decay and they give food to other animals. And it's a perfect symbiosis. Yeah. It's a cycle that has existed for hundreds of thousands of years that we are completely disrupting within the shortest time oh. frame. Everything I see, even in your apartment right now, from the computer to the cars outside, it's all straight and square, unnatural, yeah. and doesn't have any place on this planet. Yeah, no, no, we've brought the whole fucking shit, shit with us, with as us. if we are a disease that was implanted, implanted here to do a job, and we have just taken over our environment that yeah. we were not meant to be meant in. Meant to be oh, in. Is that? It's, well, it's almost like that. there's that organic farm that the earth was always, you know, and then you bring in this human, you know, this like city slicker and put him in the middle of Garden Eden and say, okay, survive now. And then watch what he does. Huh. You know, and the destruction that comes from it is just unbelievable. 
But again, maybe this because we're seeing a tiny window too, man. Yeah. A tiny window of human development mm-hmm. uh, based on our fraction of a blink of our existence. Mm-hmm. You know, good things take time, evolution. Yeah. And if we are essentially the top of the food chain, mm-hmm. the deciders, mm-hmm. we are the deciders. Mm-hmm. Maybe we just have to go through a whole lot of transformation and evolution mm-hmm. in order to hopefully end up being a friend of the animal again yeah. Yeah. and not making everything our mm-hmm. enemy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because we have made everything our enemy. Absolutely. The oceans we've made as if they are our enemies. Mm-hmm. So maybe that love thing mm-hmm. of bringing that yeah. back into the yeah. forefront of appreciation mm-hmm. and finally being humbled into yeah. knowing that, you know, this is for you, man. Yeah, this is a present. This is like the biggest gift you'll ever receive. Why would you beat up your gift? <sighs> gift. Exactly. So, Abuse again, it. we're looking at a tiny fraction of time yeah. that looks horrible yeah. from the beginning till now. Really, yeah. all of it looks pretty bad. Yeah. But if I'm looking at my cajon here, if this is evolution from here, here's the end. Yay, we did it. It's all good and we love it. Maybe we're way over here, only about an inch or two in, mm-hmm. and it's going to take all this time yeah. to get us where we where even you and I can see possibility and because we know it's possible it is yeah it's not ridiculous we're not talking there's no such thing as utopia yeah it's it's being reasonable yeah coming to a place of, of responsible and reasonability yeah. and mutual appreciation and love yeah it is possible because we see it in little little places here mm-hmm. and there so mm-hmm. even like Burning Man is a demonstration fundamentally of this concept of coming together yeah Period. Yeah. It is a coming together yeah. of a very large group of people yeah. who have agreed on a mutual value and to support each other in a certain way, mm-hmm. unconditionally. Yeah. And so if we can create that little uh, uh, container of yeah. people to do that, then obviously we can all do that eventually. Yeah, and the ripples, we can feel them in the world already. You know, Burning Man's done an amazing job of rippling that out into the world. Right, you it's know, an international leaving no phenomena. trace, yeah, right. and and yeah, treading lightly, you know, bringing in beauty, right, respecting each other in whatever outfit you want to come, you right. know, there is no discrimination out there, right, you know, it's it's a certain sense of freedom that is incredible, you know, putting your wallet aside for that one week a year, right, but we do know yeah. that there are people living this way. Yeah. You were living this way in my upbringing, yeah, 20, 30, 40 years, thirty years ago, ago, yeah, how old yeah. are you now? 42, yeah, okay. so, yeah. I'll be interested to see what you do on your 44th year <laughs> yeah. on this planet. Yeah. Only for my own selfish, ridiculous reasons. I will be on this planet. No, no, I, I hope yeah. you will. I hope I'm here when oh, yeah. you're in yeah. a couple of years. Well, I don't know. I don't fucking know what's going to happen. Yeah. So you come to Ashland, you're blown away. Yeah. This is where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. You get into a field that is mm-hmm. going to inform you for uh, pretty much the rest of your life yeah. thus far. Building shelter, yeah. And in addition to that, now what are you doing? Because you had an art gallery here. Yeah. You obviously immersed yourself in this local culture and mm-hmm. became as big as you are physically within the community here. So what what did you end up doing outside of work? How did you integrate into the community and become so present? Well, you know, I like to think of myself as an artist and... Um, but not in forms of drawing on canvas or chiseling on marble. You know, I'm not an oil painter or figure drawer. I think my daily life is a canvas. Like I wake up and it's like a blank canvas and it's like the painting I want to paint that day. 
usually involves helping people, you know, feeding the hungry, giving shelter, building something, making something beautiful. And right away, I remember in the 90s, I was walking around with my portfolio of, you know, some art, which was abstract and nude. And it was... Was it photography? Sometimes, yeah. But mostly paintings, abstract. So you were painting, even though yeah. you said I'm not. I mean, yeah. you still were doing these things. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but I think of me as an artist more as a life artist. Like, you know, every day is like a blank canvas. You know? Right. I don't say I'm an oil painter. But so, you know, I realized really fast that this town was an art town, but they weren't taken in our abstracts. If you were not showing swans in Lithia Park, right. you didn't get a place in the gallery. Right. If they couldn't sell it, they weren't going to show it. Right. And so I came from a place where even if you were a gallery, you had to earn that name by doing crazy shows. By give, otherwise, you're a gift shop. Right. So really, in Ashland, name it what it is. Name it a gift shop. Yeah, it don't is name a, it a gallery. gift shop, yeah, actually. Don't name it a gallery. Yeah, right. So I decided this to try it out, to open my own gallery, because that was the only place I could show my own stuff. Or How did any you end of up getting that space, which is now the playwright? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it kind of found me again, too. I just looked around. The landlord was really sweet. You know, he gave me a good deal. Uh, the Whistle Stop Cafe was next door, which was beautiful, you know, organic oh, was that, restaurant. Was that where the furniture used for or the... Yeah, it yeah. kind of changed that on A Street, yeah, across from the hardware store. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like I ran the gallery for nine years. We had about 110 First Fridays. You know, sometimes we did two in each month. And it was an incredible experience, you know. We never broke even, but it was like a social club. It how was like you, a speakeasy. How did you pay the rent then? Working, you know, doing jobs, you know, getting into the entertainment industry, right. you know, working at Burning Man every year. Right. Just different things, you know. Taking away my daughter's college fund. <laughs> Pouring it into a local gallery. And yeah, New One Dot was the number one gallery for the nine years standing. Yeah. Every sneak preview, every vote was always like, that's the gallery, that's the spot. That's where we met, well, you, you and were, I. Well, you were the only one in town who had any fucking balls, dude. <laughs> that's why. I mean, I remember doing the, probably the most, what's the word I could use? Not talked about, but definitely you had a show in there. The body. Yeah. The piercing and the suspension. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I actually photographed. Uh-huh. Yeah. And people were doing oh, yeah. things of that nature, nature in front of my camera. Yeah. And it was about, like, you know, body beautification. It was about, like, taking the stereotype out of tattoos and piercings. Where every culture, if you look at history, it's like there's not a tribe that doesn't do right. some kind of piercing body beautification. Right. It's a, a that to me is an art form. Yeah, yeah, it's an art form. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. that was part of the galleries. Like I got to decide every first Friday of what I wanted to do. Right. And often it was around emotions. I mean, remember that time we flipped the car upside down and yeah. parked it? Yeah. It's like, and my statement was, it's still just a car. Right. Every, the whole town will talk about this thing. Oh my God, there's a car upside down, but it's still just a damn car. We've just changed how we it's just sitting. just changed the yeah. angle of yeah. it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Just your view. And so that same month, I showed black and white photographs of homeless people dying in the streets in New York City. Mm-hmm. And they were very gruesome, very... Who took the photos? It was, a, it, was a, it was a New York artist. I don't remember his name. And I looked at those photos and I realized, you know what? People in this town won't even look at these photos. They don't want They'll to see, look at They them. don't want to look at them. No. To them, it's like, oh, I don't want to see this guy dead in the street, passed out with Wall Street people walking by and where the suitcases. swan pictures where are those pictures which ones where, no they're saying where are the swan yeah, pictures yeah yeah exactly where, yeah. 
So what's I flipped the, the cops. I down and in my auto statement I wrote, nobody will give a shit about these homeless people. Everybody, the whole town will talk about this car. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. It's like I could call them out. Yeah. You know, but yeah, call them out. So you, so you obviously though created your own community of people that you could hang out with mm -hmm. because there is a divide here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this may be a and liberal. It's getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, it's because of the money thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. people want to live here. It's very desirable. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, the house and people can't afford people yeah. who are conscious. Really? Uh, yeah. A lot of people can't afford to be here anymore no. and they're leaving this town, going to outlying talent mm -hmm. in Phoenix, Phoenix and, and yeah. Medford even. Mm -hmm. And being forced out of their own, like, little holy yeah. land. Yeah, yeah. Like every place else in the world where people are forced out forced of their leave. little holy land. Mm -hmm. Like you yeah. were forced out of your mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's all different. Uh, yeah. Well, it's actually, it's all based on the same premise yeah. of power and greed and, and conquering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it's just a different place, and mm -hmm. you put some different sunglasses on, and look. Mm -hmm. But it's the same fucking yeah. shit going on yeah. everywhere, based on people who have way too much versus people who have nothing, nothing, or very yeah, little. Exactly. And and uh, and you can't. And we're having a little value proposition yeah. thing here yeah. with with human value. Mm -hmm. All right, so <clears throat> you're doing new on art, which I found super fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the only gallery I spent any time yeah, in yeah. because it was the really only real art gallery yeah. that there was. It was like this tortured, amazing, beautiful, purely expressive, parked with a fucking ambulance out front. Modern. Did all yeah. kinds of crazy events there. Yeah. Super fun. I met all my friends through your gallery, really, probably, yeah. because yeah. these were the people I was attracted yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Were these forward-thinking, free-spirited, loving, trusting genius artists? Artists, the they, only ones you can trust sometimes. Yeah, that were vulnerable yeah, and exactly. would hug me and kiss yeah. me and yeah. and always be around, mm -hmm. always be mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. And mo a lot of those people are still here, but a lot mm -hmm. of people have left. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of good came out of it: relationships, marriages. No doubt, definitely. David Galvin and his lambs. Oh you know, God. I mean, so much beauty. It was like. It was a really good time. But yeah. I also got to a place where, you know, I kind of had to stop because it wasn't paying for itself. I feel like I, I had shown everybody in Ashland that was there multiple times. Yeah. There was no new art coming in. Yeah. And it had taken its course. Sometimes you got to quit when it's best, you know. Well, you got to go out on top, man. Yeah, exactly. People will remember you for yeah. all the positivity. For and that, exactly. Because people tend to remember the shit. Yeah. And so yeah. if shit happens and that's how that's you go so out, true. well, yeah. that's kind of how they're going to remember yeah, exactly. you. exactly. So good times, you know. Yeah. I never told anybody. My last show was just empty frames. And I had titled, I think you even helped me with some of the titles, you know. It's like Polar Bear Fighting in a Snowstorm. Right. Because we just hung empty frames on the white drywall. Yeah. And named everything beautifully. Right. And people came in, they just couldn't believe it was the show of the frames, you know. And people would stand there and read the titles and look at the drywall and try to find the polar bear or the white egg yolk, you know. And the, it's just the egg white. And That's God, so, but it's popcorn. so beautiful. And yeah. to challenge people in that way and show how blind we really we are, yeah. that we can't even appreciate the concept around it. We're looking for something. something. It's all in us. Yeah. It's just like religion and everything else. Yeah. They were looking for something, something. that they possessed mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and didn't need to. You just yeah. created a portal for them to have some self-reflection and to enjoy this unique 
perspective yeah. on self. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They didn't get it. No, no. They don't get it. No. But it wasn't wasted because no, was there are wasted. people that yeah. did get it. And yeah. you did it for yourself anyway. Oh, absolutely. Totally. I had <laughs> That's to have what some a gallery's fun. for, yeah. man. So you can express yeah. your own shit. <laughs> exactly. And hopefully get other people to you know join in yeah, on it. Exactly. But, yeah, exactly. Help you, you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a good time. It was a fantastic nine years, and I'm really honored that I've been here at the yeah. time that I've been here, actually. And I've been here almost 15. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen a lot of changes in our uh-huh. little shire here. Yeah. A little bubble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I still love being here. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't feel the same. No, it sure doesn't. I mean, we used to get arrested for fire dancing in the plaza. Yeah. We used to get arrested for noise ordinance. We used to get harassed for all these things we did in the plaza for yeah. years. Yeah. And then when we quit because we were like, we can't do this anymore. We don't yeah. have the funds to bail each other out. Right. The city realized how much tourism they lost over it. They're now basically offering free fire dancing and yeah. power to bring that kind Why of feeling back. Why do they think these people drum in the plaza exactly. and they're not giving them tickets or to arresting them? bring it them. back. Yeah, exactly. There's you a know, little bit we of We were culture. the pioneers of a lot of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it was fun around here, man. It was fucking gas yeah, all the time. Was, oh, Everybody oh, was high and it was yeah. really brilliant. Yeah, and all the restaurant owners were incredible, you know. We yeah. got our local discounts everywhere we went and yeah. we bring more business to them. And yeah. every farmer's market, you'd walk home with baskets of free food. And yeah. it was it was abundance. It was incredible. Well, this town is a business it's, now. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's Shakespeare. This yeah. town yeah. is Shakespeare's yeah. business. Yeah. And they run the show. Yeah. For the most part. Yeah. And it's fine. I mean, it's just evolution again mm-hmm. and it will come back around another way at some point yeah because everything crashes and burns yeah and this yeah. town cannot i mean how long can it sustain this right well it'll just end up like san francisco oh, park city it, or you know whatever it'll just yeah. be a rich town Sedona. yeah, I, yeah. I, I won't be able to live here i mean yeah. i'm paying 950 for this one yeah. room apartment yeah. right now yeah it's perfect for me because if i had to furnish it and i had to do a lot of things it would sure. cost me that yeah. anyway so I yeah. feel that it's it balances mm-hmm. itself out mm-hmm. from based on where I'm located mm-hmm. and yeah. how easy it is. Yeah. But most people here have to work two or three jobs just mm-hmm. to fucking stay in their shitty apartment yeah. oh. in student housing. Yeah. Yeah, for this much. For this, this much. much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the place where I live with Brandon, yeah. Yeah. that place has gone up substantially oh, in the yeah. past couple years, man. And people have left. It used to be college students could afford to live there. There's no college students there now. Oh, no. They can't afford no, it. No, I'm lucky too, you know. I have an amazing landlord, Brad Roop. Oh, yeah, over yeah. at the gallery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we've been lucky, you know. We've, I mean, we've been here long enough. You know, it's, 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 it's a good town. You well, know? you know what, you and I, I mean, you way more than me, but I've certainly give things back to this community. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think absolutely. it's rewarded me yeah. by allowing me to stay here mm-hmm. even... In whatever capacity I can, mm-hmm. absolutely, and keep me somewhat comfortable. Mm-hmm. When are you going to Thailand? November. How long? Not going the whole month. Yeah, yeah. You know, once you've been someplace, mm-hmm. you know, it's not foreign to me anymore. No, 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 no. So I'm just going to someplace comfortable that's yeah. different, that's yeah. new. Yeah. And I, I'm excited about mm-hmm. going and mm-hmm. seeing Boo and yeah. seeing all my friends and mm-hmm. and I'm actually stoked about having the surgery there totally. and having a different yeah. medical experience. Yeah, yeah. And Boo was all worried. I go, you know, your people get hernias too. Yeah. I'm not the first guy to roll into your fucking country yeah. looking for a repair job. Yeah. I said, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. As a matter of fact, totally. Mike, 
who's my Canadian friend in Mung Loi, mm -hmm. who's the craft beer maker, mm -hmm. he had a her his hernia, two of them taken care of. Mm -hmm. He said they did a great job. It cost him 50,000 baht, which is about 1,500 bucks. Yeah. And he's great. He hasn't had any problems yeah. since. So I'm not worried about it. I'm actually excited yeah. about going there and having this taken care of. Because this country won't give a shit about you. No. And, you know, I already had to. And I don't give a fuck if anybody knows. When I had cancer mm -hmm. and I didn't have insurance mm -hmm. and I only had to pay a surgeon, that great surgeon, Dr. Bowie in Medford, $500 mm -hmm. to take off my fucking cancer ball. Mm -hmm. And the hospital wanted twelve thousand. I said, "Yeah, fuck you. I don't have any money, and I'm not paying. I'm not going to pay you for the rest of my life yeah. for something yeah. that should have been taken care of for free. Yeah. Because you value me as yeah. a participant yeah. in the fucking in world. Tax of course, yeah. I have paid taxes, no exactly. doubt. Exactly. And especially this country does not care about its citizens. Clearly, the no. richest country in the world with the most people starving. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. Yeah, and homeless." <laughs> Homeless living on the street, kids yeah. who are suffering with fucking disease and malnutrition. I, I don't even. Uneducated. Yeah. Again, it's, it's frankly, yeah. as I say, it's embarrassing to be an American. Yeah. It's embarrassing to be a human being. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't believe yeah. what my brothers and sisters think is okay to do. Yeah. So you, you closed down New Wand Art, mm -hmm. and is that when you started migrating to the Applegate and not yeah. coming back as much? Yeah. Were you no. in the cannabis business then? No, no, not at all. How did that come to be? Again, I, I wanted to grow vegetables. I realized, you know what? I know I want to be in the country. I want to be away from people. I want to find the end of the road piece of land about an hour from Ashland and start growing, you know, vegetables. Yeah. And so I found a great place, started my garden right away, you know, got a greenhouse going. And then slowly just basically were asked all the time, why don't you grow wheat? I mean, you grow the best garlic and potatoes and... You grow everything comes easy to you. Your house is like sixty house plants, and everything right. is thriving. Right. Like I got a green sum, you know, and right. I've grown wheat even in Germany before. And to me, it's a plant. It's a medicinal plant. Well, I it is. don't live in fear about right. it. I saw the need for people, you know, getting cured by it, and uh, the outrageous prices. And right. so I was like, you know, if I can grow potatoes and garlic, I can grow, you know, ganja too, and yeah. give it away, and yeah. you know pay my expenses yeah you know so it's it's it just comes easy to me how long have you, you been know? doing it oh probably 15 years yeah yeah and yeah. you're still doing it right yeah a little bit yeah you not know, as I much. consult now not even close to as much yeah i consult you know i can i can go to a place and be like you know you're overwatering, or if you mulch the soil you you, you know, it's with these climates, you know, the, the roots are right under the surface. Right. They're just getting baked in the sun. Yeah. Throw a little bit of straw on top. Huh. You know, there's just certain little tricks that I can see right away. Right. Like in my personal garden, you know, there are sometimes the biggest plants in the valley and I play them classical music and I spend little on fertilizer because I make all my own fertilizers, you know, you I mix myself, just garden scraps, yeah. you know, grass clippings, compost, manure, I get a lot of goat manure that I let season for a couple of years, right. I use horse manure, cow manure, you know, warm castings, I mean, everything fine, I use creek water, you know, I do teas. So do you literally, are you, were you growing organic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. not everybody was. No, but I don't see a reason for buying fertilizer. It's just force of habit. Just people. Yeah, it's it's just salts. It's just it's just silly pharmaceutical crap. Right. That is like you Putting know more chemicals into yeah, the, into the and earth. the plants don't really thrive from it. You know, they get a short fix, but it's like 
if you know what you're doing and you watch the pH and you know you go NPK and it's like it's pretty simple you know you just listen to the plant right they'll tell you it's like a child it's like they'll tell you what they want right speaking of yeah you have a child yes she's yes. 20 now 20 now yeah how's yeah. that going it's great we are each other's best friends and every time I want to go out and she wants to go out we realize we're each other's favorite date <laughs> Were yeah. you married at some point, or did this just no. happen out of a relationship? Uh, yeah, at one point I did try to get married for citizenship reasons, but was this the person that you were? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah, I just under Obama I still got my citizenship, so I now hold a U.S. passport. Congratulations! And I've traveled with my daughter, you know, nine times to Europe, and we just got back from a great March Fourth show at the Tree Houses, and we did the country fair, and we went to Europe again over Christmas, and. We're all over the place, always together. You know, I've that's been, awesome. Um, it's been a great town to raise my child, and yeah. been amazing teachers and friends and family, and um, just a really humbling, satisfying experience to have a child. You know, so we're really close. We love each other, and we talk almost every day. And you know, I couldn't picture my life without her, and it's 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 amazing. So yeah. now we're getting ready to go back to Europe for Christmas and New Year and then we're going to go to Thailand. That's why I ask you. Like, when are you going? January and February. Oh. We're going to spend two months in Thailand. Uh, yeah, anything, check it out. Anything you, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. a novice, but any, anything yeah. you want to know based yeah. on what I know, yeah. I'll tell you anything you want to know. Yeah, yeah. It's great to see you, Johan. Yeah. Uh, we don't actually get to see each other very often and... Uh, it's always good hanging out with you, Mark. It's easy. It's been great. Yeah, it's, totally. It's, it's easy. You know, I think we have fundamentally the same interest, you know, and treading lightly, being yeah. good for our kids and our community members. And, you know, if not making it any difference at all, making a good difference. You well, know? and, you know, we haven't even touched on things like the fact that you uh, got a food truck and we're making organic <laughs> food and parking two blocks from the fucking high school and giving and out free lunches yeah. and offering free, healthy food yeah. like mac and cheese, a free, healthy, like. Uh, organic I, uh, vegan vegan stuff yeah and that it created a shit storm yeah because you know you're not corporate american who the fuck are you to feed my children good food yeah when they can have this horrible shitty food, shitty that, food. that as a parent i actually approve of which is insane you're paying 250 a lunch for or yeah. more nowadays for a slice of cheese pizza how that long did that even last nine cents how long did that last well weeks and weeks and then um you know basically was shut down on the promise that the schools will sign themselves out of these contracts with Halliburton. right the schools promised me that they will change the contract even if it means penalties right to bring in organic food to bring in better food because it's a complete disaster it's a that disaster. we as parents going around eating the most organic healthy food in this town and then feeding our kids crap yeah and having no choice about it i mean the the, the the best emails i've gotten were from teachers who said you know this is the first time that these kids are coming back from lunch and they're actually learning they're not zombies they're just not completely shut down after just eating like three slices of cheese pizza or a taco that has no nutritional value. Right. So they're filling themselves with these, you know, sodiums and with these nitrates and with these complete unnutritional food items that are directly brought to us by Halliburton. And th their learning ability is just done. It's just yeah. not happening. Well, that's part of the you process know? is the dumbing down of America yeah. has to happen through nutrition too. Yeah. It's shutting you down. Yeah, exactly. It's making you just a fucking zombie. Zombie, exactly. And, and you Blinded. came in and you woke people up. Literally, yeah. you woke them up through some healthy input 
Yeah. And, uh, well, you're a direct threat to the fucking machine, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I was threatened by the machine. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? My daughter and her food intake is worth more to me than those threats. Yeah. How can I sit at home and know that she's eating crappier food than a fast food industry? Well, uh, I'm, I'm honored to know you because uh, I've seen the work that you do. Thank you. And I know you're trying to unfuck it up. A little bit, a tiny bit at a time, for well, sure. But you know? I guess that's evolution, a tiny yeah, bit at a time. Man. Totally. Yeah. Until we all agree that we just need to do better yeah. for ourselves. Seven generations to go might not happen anymore. But man, it sure sounds good. Sounds better than not. <laughs> I don't have any faith in us based on watching what we do. Yeah. But I have hope because I absolutely know in my heart mm-hmm. of hearts that we can obviously do this yeah. way better yeah. and that uh, we just have to choose to do it. Yeah, live by example, you know. Yeah. Daily little things, you know. I mean, I've lived off the grid, you know, for over 10 years now. You know, I drive a little electric hybrid car, you know. I just There's little things we can do. Recycle, reuse, you know. What's your consumption of drinking water, you know? I mean, there's so many tiny little things. You know? But even though you're doing those wonderful things for yourself, and I'm not saying for you to do anything other than what you're doing, if children don't see what you're doing, yeah. they don't know to do that. They don't. Like living in the Applegate, every every camper that comes out, and I want to say it's 99%, it's 9.5 out of 10 people that come, leave that trash behind. Really? They think that we as neighbors or the Forest Service or the creek or some magical fairy will come and clean up after them. They think we drive to the most remote campground that we can get to out of Medford, and we are entitled to leave our Dixie cups, diapers, pooped in pants, air mattresses, sleeping bags, tents, what? fire locks behind. It's okay. I just It puzzles me every summer. Every spring, summer, fall, I'm out there cleaning up, and it's just I look at the things that people leave behind, and I just think... How rude. Yeah. Blatantly rude. Blatantly rude. And it doesn't give me much hope, but I'm like you. I still want to believe. Well, because there's also those other people yeah. that are actually picking that shit up. Yeah. So that's balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't taking care of your shit, your kids are not learning to take care of their yeah. shit. Yeah. And they're perpetuating that insanity. Totally. Absolutely. And that's, again, this is part yeah. of our education. Yeah. Is, I mean, if your parents don't know, they're not going to teach you. Yeah. It is up to our education system to show you how to do it. Do it, yeah. Then you create parents that know how to do it, and that's evolution because there's your kids that know what to do. Yeah. Your daughter is going to be one of these people. We are producing human beings. Yeah. That have a conscious, yeah. a little bit around what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. And hopefully that is what is going to help us not perish. Perish. Because we are on the perish path. Yeah. And maybe that's the healing for the earth. And maybe we need to go. Exactly. Maybe and that's time. fine. Yeah. All right, Johan. So what are you going to do now? you got the rest of the day ahead of you. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm going to go paint my toenails. I've been wanting to do that and today's the day to go sit by the creek and paint toenails really so you're gonna go your apartment is like practically on the water there. on the water yeah, yeah exactly yeah i'm gonna go pick my favorite colors and go have some me time and paint my nails that is fucking awesome <laughs> yeah. i i i will probably not be doing that yeah. uh, but i feel like i need to go for a nice long walk yeah in our, in our gorgeous park Hawk. smoke a bunch of fucking weed right now get super oh, ripped perfect. And go watch the deer and the yep. antelope play. <laughs> All right, brother, have fun. Paint yep. your toenails. Yeah, I will. All right, man. See you later. Well, that's the show. Always fun to hang out with my friend, Johan. Effortless. And uh, he's told me his story a bit in the past. But I appreciated... Uh, 
uh, the detailed account of how this country was lucky enough to receive somebody so conscious from so far away with the big heart doing the big things right here in the Rogue Valley. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate him being here. And, uh, and it's good to see him whenever I do, whenever that is. Uh, Thailand. Yeah, it's coming. Speaking of Thailand, in the past couple days, uh, Boo and I have reconnected uh, due to me reaching out because I'm trying to do the Gandhi non-resistant thing, but I want to do the non-resistant thing. I'm not resisting being resistant, nor am I being resistant about being non-resistant. Not think. She even said to me yesterday, don't think too much. Don't take it too seriously. I mean, we both do. But she's my, like, cool mirror to me. And she keeps coming back, and I keep coming back. I don't know. What, what the fuck, man? So I, I'm just going to just roll with this shit, man. She's going to be there in November. Hopefully we'll still be together in some way. And, and we can hook up, hang out, and, and love each other, and, and do all that. And if not, well, then we, we won't. And so that'll be that. And then... You know, I'll do the other things, which I would do and gonna do. So, pretty, 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 pretty good. Thank you, Larry. That's a shout out to you. Thanks so much for being uh, a part of my experience. I enjoy it. I listen to my own shows, man. I like them. I like the shows. I like the guests. I like the people I talk to. I like myself. Uh, I don't like everybody. I think I've told you that. But I do love all of you because I know if you could be what you could be, you would be. Word your mother's uncle. If whatever you're doing if is not you're working, doing, is not working, doing, there's only one way you can change that, way, and that's to change what you do, change what you do, change what you do, change what you do, change what you do. I am Citizen 44.